0: Okay, is this working fine? Everyone can hear that? Yes, one, two, three. Yeah, I think I can hear it. All. Lovely to be with you again to open up uh, God's Word to inspire you and encourage you in this wonderful faith that we have. That's why we gather week by week so we can be energized and spurred on uh, in this wonderful life that we have See that? So it should work. Yeah, you can do that. Sam, take you one of these mates. Yes, yeah, what I said. Okay, that's all. I'll hold this one, I think. Okay. And I can move around a little bit. I like moving around a little bit. It's all right. Okay, how are we doing? It's good. Yeah. Okay, good. Yes, thank you. Okay. I've got a simple question for you this morning. The question is this. Is it possible to live the Christian life day by day without sinning? No. Is it possible... (laughs) Be careful because we've got two things we're answering here. We speak about an awesome God and God's great power, and we, in a sense, were the joy that was set before Him. Well, what would be the joy set before Him if His salvation that He wrought for us meant that we continued to be sinners? That's not awesome. That is a diminishing of the joy to think that he goes through all of that and then we have to continue sinning in our lives. There's something wrong with thinking that it's not possible. Now, I'm not arguing with you that it's easy, but you shall know the truth And the truth will set you free. That's why we listen to the preaching of God's word. We don't want to continue the same. We just don't want to go, oh, there was another sermon. The truth of God's word continues to change us. I think the general response to that question, is it possible for a Christian to live day by day and not sin answer is no. It's no. But I believe that's the wrong answer. Why is that? Can I quote from Andrew Murray? Some of you might have heard of that name, might not have heard of him. Uh, he says some wonderful things. He's not with us now. Uh, a great preacher and teacher. So what he says, the possibility of living for one day without transgression. Transgression is another word for sin. It's it's practice doing sin, actually choosing to do it. The possibility of living for one day without transgression is generally considered so impossible, it has become such a deep-rooted conviction that most Christians believe that God's Word teaches it. It has become such a deep-rooted conviction that we cannot stop sinning that we actually believe the Word of God teaches it. It doesn't. And Jesus doesn't teach that either. In fact, Jesus completely refutes The very idea that we should continue sinning. Let me read to you a passage found in John's Gospel. It's John chapter 8, if you want to follow it there in your Bibles. Jesus is speaking to the Jews. Jesus, nearly whenever he's speaking, he's speaking to the Jews. He came to the Jews. In front of him, there are two types of Jew that he's speaking to. One is listening to what he's saying and believing what he's saying. They're putting trust and faith in his words. Others are rejecting what Christ is saying. Just like us today, isn't it? Some people accept what Christ has said and some people reject what Christ has said. Now, listen what he says here in John chapter 8 verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, that's part of the group that are listening to him Jesus says this if you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free set you free from what? set you free from what? Now, you don't have to answer that because Jesus (laughs) has given you the answer. Sometimes we think of another answer from the one that Jesus gives us or Paul gives us or others. Then he goes on to say, they answered him. Now, these are the ones that are not listening to him and are not believing what he is saying. They are in defense of themselves. Listen to what they say. They answered him, those who are not listening to Jesus. They said, we are Abraham's descendants. We're Jews, they were all Jews. We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? And Jesus replies then to both of them that are listening. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. I've said this to you quite a few times over the years. When he says, I tell you the truth, what he's saying is, listen. Listen now, it's not that he ever tells lies, but what I'm gonna say is important for you to listen to. He says it 80 times in the gospels. Now listen, he says. And also, not only listen carefully to what I say, but what I say, you're not gonna believe what I'm gonna tell you. Therefore, that's why we have to listen carefully. If I tell you something you already know and believe, you don't have to listen carefully. But if I tell you something that's contrary to what you believe, you have to listen a bit more carefully. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if you sin, you make yourself a slave to sin. Because sin tells you what to do. So you do it. That's it. That's quite straightforward there. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You have to make a decision this morning whether you're going to be a son who can be free or a slave to sin who has no permanent place in the family. The option is yours. Just as he was speaking to these people, he was saying, you can be free, not a slave to sin anymore, or you can remain a slave to sin. The choice is yours. <coughs> Are you a slave to sin, or has Jesus set you free? You can't have it both ways, can you? You're either free, and you're not a slave to sin, Or, you're a slave to sin, and when sin tells you to do something, you go ahead and do it. One who has no permanent place in the Father's home, or a son who belongs forever. Well, I believe I belong forever. Not because I'm good or anything, but for what Christ has done for me. He's brought me into the family of God. And so as a child of God's forever, I believe I can walk free from sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Let me explain to you how things were when Jesus came and said these things. The Jews lived under what we call the law. The law was what God gave to Moses and said, if we are going to maintain a relationship, me and you, not only Moses, but the whole people of Israel, he says, there mustn't be sin in your heart. I can't fellowship with you, meet with you, have a relationship with you, if there is sin in your heart. So, we have to do something to get rid of the sin You can't keep it there. You have to deal with it. But there's a problem. In that before Christ came, everyone, because of their fallen nature, because of Adam's sin, was born in sin. And they had something within them that made sure they kept sinning. We call it the power of sin. The power of sin within makes us sin. That's it. It makes you sin. That's the whole point that Jesus was driving at. So everyone who Jesus is talking to was bound by what I have called here the power of sin. I didn't invent that phrase. We've been singing about it for donkey's years. The power of sin. The power of sin is something that was inside of us that made sure we kept sinning. So what happened to Jewish people, what they would do when they sinned they were at odds with God God told them how they could cleanse their hearts so they could have a relationship back with God again they had to remove that sin for God to relate. Imagine a holy God, holy and pure, and he wants a relationship with someone, and in their heart, the very centre of their being, there is sin. God says, no, for this to work, you have to remove that sin, we have to get rid of that sin, so at least I can have a relationship with you. And so, this is what God sets up under what we call the Old Covenant. God knew that man... Because of the power of sin that was in him, he could never stop sinning. He couldn't stop it. So even though God gives man the law and said, do this and don't do that, he couldn't stop. He might want to stop sinning, but he couldn't because the power of sin within kept him sinning and sinning. So what he would do, he would sin, realise that he had done something wrong, He would go to the priest and the priest would say, God has told us that if you do this, this and this, the sin that's in your heart can be dealt with. We can wash that away so you can have a relationship with God. But unfortunately, still inside of you is this power of sin that keeps working on the inside of you. And the priest said, I can't do anything about that. So what he would do, if a man sinned, he would take maybe an animal, he would bring it to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice the animal, so blood was shed. There is only the forgiving of sin through the shedding of blood, that's important. Then he would take the animal that was uh, slaughtered, and he would cook it. And the ashes that he would get from the meat, he would give to this person. And he said, now go home, And mix this with pure water. And because of the sin that you have committed, and it was different things for different sins, you have to wash yourself with this water, with this ash in it. And so he would wash himself with this thing, maybe a day or two days or a week, whatever the priest specified. And that would, a word that we use, atone for his sin. The sin, as it were, in his heart would be removed... So when God looked at him, he didn't have to look at the sin. He could have a relationship with him. But inside this man or woman was still this thing that made him sin again and again and again. He he could not obey God. This that was in him was more powerful than his will not to sin. And so that's why God says, I didn't want your sacrifices. He said what I wanted from you was your obedience. But it was impossible for us to be obedient to God because of this that was in us driving us forward. I made a little statement here just to clarify and make it simple. That means that the stain of sin on the heart was removed from people when they made the sacrifices, they washed themselves, and they offered the sacrifices. Therefore, because it was removed from their heart, it was removed from the sight of God. The blood of animals was effective in removing the stain of sin but it did not have the strength or the ability or we'll call it the power within it in the blood of the animal to remove this thing called the power of sin that was in us in the heart of the person that would cause them to sin again and again and again it was impossible impossible for Jewish people to follow the law of God. Even when they wanted to, they found themselves falling again and again to the power of sin that was in them. So man had a big problem. That that first thing in the Old Testament wasn't God's attempt to sort this out. The whole of the New Testament must be be read with the Old Testament and it was a progressive step to what God was going to do to deal with this problem of the power of sin within. He knew the law couldn't do it. So he sent Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen, Jesus Jesus was not only going to do something that would remove the stain of sin because the blood of animals could do that but it would remove the power of sin that caused you to sin again and again when Jesus came he came with a remedy that had the power not only to remove the stain of sin but the power of sin in the human heart that caused you to sin again and again and again. What the blood of an animal could not do, the blood of Jesus can do. Do you believe that? Too right. Too right. See, if you think you've got to keep on sinning, you might as well live in the Old Testament, before Jesus. Just offer another sacrifice, offer another sacrifice, offer another sacrifice. But Jesus said, no, I will come and bring an end to all sacrifices and ceremonial washings. There will be one sacrifice that will clear all sin for the whole world, for all people, for all time. But my blood is much more powerful than the blood of an animal. Let me read another statement to you so it's clear. The blood of Christ is so precious, it is so powerful, that when it is applied to the human heart, it not only cleanses the stain of sin completely, there is no longer any indication that you ever sin. Now think of that. When the blood of Jesus applies itself to the sin that was in your heart or the sin that you committed, when God looks at you, it is as though the sin was never there. That is the power of the blood, to just remove it completely. And in it being removed, God can't remember it. And let me tell you, the blood of Jesus constantly flows from the cross of Calvary. There is no time. It's as though it's flowing now. And the minute that you start putting faith in Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus starts to flow over your heart. It flows over you because you have faith in Jesus. And when you sin, the blood of Jesus, because you have faith in Him, it instantly washes the sin away from your heart. So you're constantly in a place of purity and holiness before the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? So when you die, if you die, you go, oh, hang on a minute, I haven't repented. Quick, get the priest in, get the get the pastor in, get the vicar in, get somebody in, so we can pray and deal with the sin. Oh, no, no, you know that's not true. You don't do that. We've come to one who is a high priest whose blood continually flows like a fountain from Calvary to wash your sin away the second that you commit it. So you can have every confidence as long as you live with faith in Christ as your Redeemer and Saviour. If you get hit down with a bus tomorrow and no one gets a chance to come to you and you haven't even got the energy to pray, you're righteous and are in his sight. Amen. Hallelujah. Not for the fact you might get hit with a bus, but that your heart has been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus. See, this gospel is better than you think it is it isn't it isn't a poor thing it's a very precious it's a very power powerful thing there is no longer any indication that you have ever sinned because of the power of the blood to remove it it also has the power listen to this it has the power to overpower the power of sin sorry for all those powers but I try to think of doing it in another way but sometimes it's good the blood of Jesus has the power in it to overpower the power of sin in you in the human heart freeing you from being a slave to sin any longer because he's freed you from the power of sin you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is no longer this thing called the power of sin within you that makes you sin anymore, because the power of the blood of Jesus has overpowered the power of sin. So if you sin, it's because you too sin. It isn't because you haven't got the power. Not to. Because if you say, I don't have the power to stop, you're saying Christ's power, the power of the blood of Jesus, was not strong enough. Come on. You're never going to admit to that or ever say that. This blood cleanses every sin that was ever committed in the world and has the power to enter into every human heart and cause that person never... To sin again. Praise His name. If I stop there, that would be good enough. But there's more. There's more. Let me press on. What has changed for the children of God since would Jesus come? Is it really true we can live a life without sinning? Is it really true? When you exercised originally, and then every day since. Faith in Jesus Christ. We need to realise that he died for you. You say, oh, he died for my sins. Oh, no, he never. He died to wash your sins away, but he died for you. Your sins... Weren't the main thought in his head when he went to the cross. Yeah, he knew that his death would deal with your sin. But he died for you. He died for you. So you would never have to sin again. The completeness of his work is phenomenal. We have no idea the full extent of the gospel of salvation. We sometimes just know little bits and we tinker with the outside of it. This is such a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he washed all your sin away. He said, I will continue to wash your sin away as you continue to have faith in me. But I do something more than that. I destroy the power of sin within you so you don't have to sin again. Hallelujah. Praise his holy name. Praise his name. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, this is what it says. God made him, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin He made Jesus who had no sin to become sin. What does that mean? Jesus never sinned. So how did he become sin? Even when he went to the cross, he still never sinned. He never ever sinned. Jesus, who had no sin, sorry, God who made Jesus who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God this is what it means, in you when you were born there was something within you that I called the power of sin that kept you sinning some people sinned a lot, some people sinned a little, some people were just downright selfish and only thought about themselves, that was sin there was a power that was in them When Jesus came into this world, he wasn't born of a natural father. He was born of God. And so there was no sin, power of sin within him. No sin nature within him. He had the nature of his father, which was a nature of righteousness. So that which drove Jesus forward was The power of righteousness within. That which drove every man or woman since Adam and Eve fell was the power of sin that drove them forward. Do you see? So all men sinned. They kept sinning because of the power of sin that was in them. But Jesus came without the power of sin but the power of righteousness within him. When he goes to the cross, he did some wonderful exchanges at the cross. He said, I'll tell you this. You give me the power of sin that is within you and I will exchange it for the power of righteousness that is within me. He became sin that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Or as the Bible puts it, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. He never sinned but he took that power of sin from from us and put it in himself so that in him we might become the righteousness of God that's it instead of having the power of sin that drives you now the power of righteousness drives you you know that to be true because whenever you think of doing something wrong, something inside goes, whoa, don't do that that's the power of righteousness you've never been comfortable sinning ever since the power of righteousness came into you and I'm so pleased about that you have always felt uncomfortable saying those words that you shouldn't have said, thinking those things that not that thinking is sin but thinking those evil things that you should you've never felt comfortable never ever and you never will so you might as well stop it You don't have to do that. You don't have to. You once had to, and maybe you got so used to living like that, that when the exchange took place, you didn't realise that an exchange took place. You think you're continuing in the same old thing, being angry, losing your temper, saying sorry, being angry, losing your temper. No, no, no. Salvation was better than that. That that wasn't the joy that was set before him. No way. So when Jesus went to the cross, he exchanged what was in him for what was in us. He took the power of sin in us and gave us his power of righteousness. Here you come That's wonderful. I'm glad I came this morning. I'm glad you cleared that little point up. Because I thought I was going to be this mess until I died. Feeling awful about myself. No, 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 no. No, we've got a better salvation than that. But he did a lot more. Read on. It's even better. There's a passage in Hebrews, chapter 8, from verses 10. And he's quoting from Jeremiah. This is what he says. This is the covenant... We'll overgo that. We're just—I could teach a lot on covenant, but I can't do that this morning. The old covenant was that what used to do before with the law, and you would make offerings and sacrifices, and God—that was the old covenant. That's how you got right with God again. That was His covenant. That's how He dealt with it. In the new, He says, "You now have a better covenant." This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time. He's talking about when Jesus comes. Listen what He says. Listen to this. I will put my law in his mind and write them on his or her, on their hearts. So the law of God, instead of reading it in a book, and thank God for the book, and we can read it as much as we possibly can because it will reinforce the truth of it. He said, I will put the truth in their heads and in their hearts. I will put what I require of men and women in their head so they will know what to do and in their hearts so they will want to do. They will want to do the right thing. So when we came to Christ, he put his mind in our mind and his heart in our heart. When we say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus... That's what it means. Enter in and take control of my heart, the way I think, the way I should feel about things, what I should do. But he comes into the mind as well. Then he goes on to say this. I will be their God and they will be my people. He's talking about us. No longer will a man teach his neighbour... Or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So when Christ went to the cross as a lamb and shed his blood for us, there was a perfect exchange that took place. But something else happened when you put faith in Christ. The spirit of Christ himself entered into your mind and entered into your heart. That's what it says. Come into my heart. Are you willing to receive Jesus into your life? That's what it means. He Yes, you said I am. So he lives in your head and he lives in your heart. It doesn't end there. Because he knows how weak we can be. So he says to them, wait in Jerusalem for ten more days so that the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, can come inside you as well to empower you to live this life, to empower you to make the right decisions. Even though God tells you to do something and you know it's right, you still sometimes fall down. You still sometimes choose not to do it. He said the Holy Spirit will come in and empower you To do what Christ wants and to respond in the way He wants you to respond. Let's have a little recap of what happened at salvation. Number one, God washed all your sins away. Praise the Lord. When God looks at my heart, there is no sin. There is no sin. Because the blood of Jesus constantly washes the sin away from my heart. Constantly washes it away. He has overpowered the power of sin within me that made me keep on sinning. He has nullified it. There is no more power working within me that makes me sin. In fact, he has put within me the power of God's righteousness. ...that makes me walk in holiness. That sounds a good deal. He has not only done that... ...but he has entered... ...by his spirit into my mind... ...so I think like Jesus... ...and he's entered into my heart... ...so I want, I desire... ...to want the things that Jesus wants. God's righteousness now... ...lives inside of me. And on top of that... ...I have received the Holy Spirit... To empower me to live this way. What else has he got to do? What else has he got to do? You go, I'm sorry, I can't just stop myself. I have to sin every day. What? What? Isn't the blood of Jesus good enough? Isn't the spirit of Christ good enough? Isn't the Holy Spirit good enough to stop you? Then you're a hopeless case. You're a hopeless case. You say, no, I'm not a hopeless case. I don't have to sin again. I get that, Philip. I do sin, but I see now I don't have to sin. I choose to sin. You see, in here, there is the soul of man and the heart of man. Christ enters into our heart and he sits on the throne of our hearts. This soul that I have, it wants to run my life. But I say, no, Jesus, you sit on the throne of my life and I will submit to you. But if there's a challenge and you're tempted to sin, what you do, you say, Jesus, get off the throne of my life. I'm in charge now. I'm going to decide what I do. And that's why you sin. That's why you sin. You have to submit your will to that of him who sits on your throne. And the minute you decide to sin and not submit, you dethrone him from being the Lord of your life. And you are now the Lord of your life. How does this work practically? Imagine in a situation someone comes along and says something to me, they're very rude, and my reaction, of course, I, I react first with my emotions, we will do. I'm hurt, I'm hurt, you've hurt me, I feel hurt, my feelings have been uh, attacked, I feel hurt, I feel rejected, you don't love me, you've, you've, whether it's justified or not, I feel these things within me. This feeling goes on to self-pity on me. (laughs) Okay, Uh, I don't know what to do with myself now. Uh, uh, uh. Then, when I recover from this feeling of hurt, I feel resentful. How dare they? dare they say that to me? Don't they know the truth? Don't they know how hard I've tried? Don't they know what I've done? Don't they know that? How can they judge me like this? That resentment goes on to unforgiveness. And then we have given total way to the soul man within us. The old man. We've given him the right to run our lives when he hasn't got the right to run our lives, we must allow Christ, who's enthroned in our heart, to run our lives. You've made yourself a slave to sin again. Don't do it. You don't have to do it. Because if the blood of Jesus powerfully dealt with the... The dominion of sin in your life the first time, it can do it again and again and again and again. But we don't want to be like a a thing flopping from one side to the other. We want Christ to deal with the power of sin once and for all, for us to enthrone Christ on the throne of our hearts and live and follow him. Jesus lives inside of me. I have the power of the Holy Spirit to help me. So, how should I react to this rejection? This upset that I felt? Number one. As soon as you start feeling sorry for yourself, say, cut that out for a start. Cut it out. Cut out that nonsense. Don't start feeling sorry for yourself because that will lead you down a road that you don't want to go down. Number one. Number two. Yeah, I might be rejected by you for whatever reason, but i tell you something, I'm not rejected by God. Now, I might have messed up really bad, but I am not a rejected person. You might reject me. We have to deal with this thing, but he has never rejected me, so I will never, ever be a rejected person ever again. Amen. Because the one whose opinion counts more than anything else is his opinion. Amen. Now, if you've rejected me, you've rejected me. And listen, if you're in pastoral ministry, I have been rejected many times. You can be absolutely certain of that because I can't please all the people all the time. But we'll have to deal with that. But I won't suffer the pain of rejection because I'm not rejected by God. Instead of voicing my feelings to others about you and what you said, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. That's it. Do you know what he said to her? I don't know. Just love them. When you voice it, you strengthen the, the power of sin within to have dominion over your life. Every time you speak about it, you crush yourself further down. So we have to stop. We have to walk in love. We have to forgive. We choose to forgive and we determine to do our best not to be the cause of their upset in the future. Now, whatever you got upset with me about, you might be fully justified. We've got to talk about this. We've got to put it right. We've got to put it right for your sake and for my sake. We mustn't give place to the devil ever. So don't talk about it. Don't make it bigger than it is. And we know this to be true. We go to the person and we say, "What you said it really upset me." I've had people come to me and say, "Philip, what you said has really upset me." And I thought, well, maybe I did say it upset you. Maybe I didn't. You know what I mean? I mean, we have to be honest. <laughs> We have to be honest. You see, because I said, oh, I didn't mean to. <laughs> you're impacting now the insult with a lie. Just say, you know, you're right. And I'm so, so ashamed of myself. Never say sorry. <laughs> Never say sorry. Never say sorry. Don't mean nothing. Say, I am so ashamed of myself. Would you please... Forgive me. Now it's up to you. Oh, don't say sorry. Never say sorry. Taught my, taught my kids all my life <laughs> <laughs> never to say sorry because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> after years, <laughs> yep, after 20 all these years, 20 years 20. I've never taught my kids to say sorry. If I have offended you, I need to come and say, I have offended you. I, I am ashamed of what I've done. Please, please, please will you forgive me. Now, if you say no and walk away, the offence is still there. It's still there. God can't bless. Well, that's going on. But if you say, Philip, I appreciate that you've come in this way, and I do. I offer you my forgiveness. I say thank you very much. We hug, and we go on. That's how you deal with sin. That's how you deal with differences. Don't ever say sorry. It means nothing. Oh, I'm sorry I did that. What are they supposed to say when you say sorry? They can't say anything, can they? they go, oh, It's a statement, you see. It's not owning up and looking for a bridge to be built. It's an important issue. And never let my boys say sorry. I don't know what they do now. They're big now. But growing up, they had to deal with the sin issue. They had to ask forgiveness for what they'd done wrong. And I built that into my own self as well. you <laughs> so... Philip I can't do that That's, that's too much too much of course it's too much that's why he's in the Holy Spirit that's why Christ lives on the inside that's why God knows that you were hopeless unless Christ actually lived on the inside of you got into your head got into your heart he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside you. He cleansed you of all your sin. And he dealt with the power of sin within. So don't say you can't do it. You're just saying, oh, all right, the devil is stronger than Jesus. The power of sin is stronger than the blood of Jesus. That's what you're saying when you say, I can't. Now, up to now, you had an excuse because perhaps you didn't know. But you know now. You know now. You might have to hear this three or four more times. But you know now. This last little bit. When I read to you the passage from Hebrews, this is what verse 11 says. It says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother to know the Lord. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, they had to be taught all the time what was right, what was wrong, what they should do and what they shouldn't do. No more. You don't need anyone to teach you what's right and what's wrong. Now, you need Bible teachers to explain things. I understand that. But inside you, Christ has come. So I don't need to tell you what's right and wrong. Actually, now listen to me, you don't even need the Bible to tell you what's right and wrong. Because the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ himself, now thank God for the Bible, because it reinforces everything that Jesus ever said, and I'm not saying you don't need it, and I'm not saying don't read it, read as much of it as you can. It will only reinforce, and it will explain to you why Christ is saying and doing these things. Please hear me. But if you never had a Bible, and don't forget this, the church has only recently got the Bible. It's 2,000 years old, and they didn't even invent a printing press till 1,500 years. It's only been in the hands of people like you and me for the last 150 years. Prior to that, we were too poor to have a Bible. We didn't have Bibles. Now, thank God we've got one. So don't ignore it now. People died to get this to us. But you could live a godly, godly Christian life without it. So you go, oh, I don't know enough of the Bible. That's why I sin. No, no. Because he lives inside you. In your head and in your heart. Listen what it says here. No longer will a man teach his neighbor, blah, 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 but they will know him from the least to the greatest. Are you the least Christian in the whole world? (laughs) Okay. I'm ever so humble. Yeah, I am. You've still got no excuse. You've got no excuse. From the least to the greatest. You have no excuse. Because the Christ that entered into my heart and my head is the same Christ that entered into the person who is the least Christian in the world. He's entered into their heads and their hearts as well. We're without excuse. We're without excuse. You see, when he, when he's, when he comes to us at the end and we stand before him, In judgment and he won't judge our sin that's been dealt with in Christ but if we've lived a really shabby Christian life you know what I mean we have no excuse none at all none at all I'm not putting that on you, well I know gently okay Okay. if, if, if it takes you a few more years to work this out that's fine Okay. If you make a thousand mistakes before you move on, that's fine because the blood of Jesus still has the power within it to wash sin, wash sin, wash sin. So as you go through the decades, keep in the blood keeps washing away the sin and God in his patience waits for you to move on, to wake up, to realise, to understand. What a wonderful salvation we have. I love this Gospel. I love Jesus. I love its potential. I do, I do. Now, there's one thing to know the Word of God and there's another thing to know the Word of God. You're all intelligent people. You've all heard what I've said. I think I've built a good argument. So you all know this, but do you know it? <laughs> if you know it, you walk out of here thinking, Oh, my Lord, I don't have to sin ever again. Yeah, if you walk out of here thinking, Oh, well, that's just the way I am and I keep sinning, you will. You will. You don't even give yourself a chance. But if you walk out of here and say, I believe what Philippus said and what the Bible said is absolutely true and I don't have to sin again, well, by jolly, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it if I don't have to do it. By faith in His Word and what has been preached to you, God pours His grace into your life to make what we understand possible. It is by faith, through the grace of God, that you never have to sin ever again. That's it. Do you believe it? Amen. I believe it. I believe it to be true. And I didn't always believe it. But when the light came on, I taught it for years without believing it. I knew it was in Scripture, but I didn't fully get it. But I get it now. And I don't ever have to sin again. That's what enables me when you come to me after and slap me across the face, I just take my glasses off if they haven't gone already, and let you <laughs> slap me across the other side of the face. Because I don't have to react anymore. I don't have to sin. Now I might slap you first. No, 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 no. <laughs> but
1: Jesus
0: said things like that, didn't he? To work that's not going to work. He meant it, He meant that stuff to work, and so it must stand up with me, and we'll pray together, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this precious, precious new covenant that we celebrate every Sunday with communion. This new covenant that you come to bring us into a covenant where sin no longer has dominion over us, that we have crossed from a a dominion of darkness to a dominion of light. We have been set free from slavery into freedom. We're no longer uh, people who live in the house of God, subject to slavery, but we're children of God, free. Lord, help us to understand this. And please give us the faith to grasp hold of it, And pour your grace into our lives, so we walk in liberty and freedom. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Praise God.